From Thrivalist, this is the So The Not Sorry podcast with your host, Georgie Irvine. As a leading destination to change your relationship with alcohol in an empowered way, Thrivalist will help you free yourself from the alcohol trap and craft a life so beautiful you no longer want to drink. Hi there and welcome to another episode of So But Not Sorry. In today's episode, I sat down with the beautiful Sophie Scott. Sophie's a mental well-being and neuroscience authority. She's an international speaker, award-winning broadcast journalist, educator, and TEDx speaker. She specializes in using the latest scientific research to help people maximize their human potential, mindset, and mental health. In this interview, Sophie chats about sobriety, the effects alcohol has on our minds and bodies, breast cancer, anxiety, and burnout. I can't wait to share this episode with you. Thank you so much for being here today. I'd love to do a little introduction. Um, Sophie, you're a mental wellbeing and neuroscience authority. Um, you're an international speaker, award-winning broadcast journalist, educator, and TEDx speaker. Um, you specialise in using the latest research to help people maximise their human potential, mindset, and mental health. You have an extensive social media presence, which is where I came across you, with your work mm-hmm. reaching more than 100,000 people a day. You've written two books, Live a Longer Life and Road Testing Happiness. You've won numerous major awards for journalism as a national medical reporter for the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, including a prestigious Eureka Award for medical reporting. This is my favourite. Sophie is married and has four sons. <laughs> That is a good effort, Sophie, I must say. I've got one son and one daughter, so I can only imagine how busy life was for you early on with four kids. Yes. Look, thank you for that introduction. And, yes, it was very busy at times. At one point we had the boys in three different schools, so that was interesting, keeping track of where they all were and all the different um, responsibilities. But, um, you know, I look back at that time now really fondly and um, it does go very quickly. So that's one thing I say to parents, like particularly if you're in the weeds in that really busy period, having kids and in high school and everything, it doesn't, it seems like it's going to last forever, but it actually doesn't, it's pretty quick. And so um, you want to actually enjoy it while you, as much as you can, while you can, because it doesn't really last that long. And um, yeah, now my our kids are all a bit older, you're more like young adults and you sort of move into a different phase of your relationship with them and and the groundwork you put in when you're when they're younger hopefully pays off when they become adults and have more control over their own time and luckily the kids still want to spend time with us so that's a good sign. That is a beautiful sign and I absolutely love that. As soon as my kids want to hang out, even if I'm in the middle of work and I've got five million things going on, it's just so important to be present for them, isn't it? Because I think that's our greatest wish when we have young adults that they do want to spend time with us. So when they do, we've got to sort of try and find that space, you know, to be there and be present, I think. So that's really beautiful, Sophie. All right, let's get into it. Um Okay, I would love you to start off by sharing a bit about your background and the motivation behind your work, Sophie, please. So I've really got had two careers. I've had a career that I had for 25 years or more really as a journalist and for the last, for 25 years, almost 25 years of that, it was specialising in health and being a broadcast journalist 
focusing on health, which I really love that area. Got to meet some amazing patients and amazing researchers and um, just have very, very grateful for the people that um, shared their stories and trusted me to share their stories with a big audience. And so that was an amazing career that I had and really loved. But I was increasingly in the last few years doing more in the mental health and sort of mental well-being space. So really posting a lot on social media and writing about um, things that you could do in your own life to maximize your mental health and well-being based on what the research shows makes a big difference. And what I was finding it was really interesting is that all the feedback I was getting from people, even when I was working, still working as a journalist and going out and on location and on stories and things, is that everyone would be commenting and telling me, oh, I love your posts on LinkedIn or I love your posts on Instagram about, you know, high functioning anxiety or, you know, recovering from burnout. So that's where I was getting so much feedback from people and, you know, people saying, I found that really valuable. Um, that's just what I went through. Um, and when I wrote about alcohol as well, exactly the same, I was actually blown away by the re response to that. We can talk about that. Um, and so that made me think, you know, I love doing stuff in the health and wellbeing space. And I felt there was a real need for, for the work that I do, which is going into workplaces primarily or talking to organizations about how their staff can maximize their mental wellbeing, you know, put into place some great habits uh, for productivity, but also to, so they feel amazing and they feel good about themselves. And so now that's what I do. I gave a TED talk as well this year about recovering from burnout. And I'm just doing a lot of writing and content creation and about connection, about the importance of having people around you that support you and have the same values as you. And so, yeah, it's all coming together. All the things I've been doing the last few years have just transitioned to this new stage. And I'm really loving it and loving the freedom of having the time to do things like this, to talk to, to you and your amazing community. So in the, when I had my full-time job, I was very much more time poor. So now I've got a bit more freedom and flexibility and I really love it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I think, Shane, thank you for sharing all your expertise in the health and wellness space because I don't think we can get enough of it. I think so many of us have struggled over the last 10 years or so and it's really important now to have those leaders in the industry that are going to help everyone through and give them those really amazing tools that are going to support them to live, you know, a life full of, I always say, like, a life is their true authentic self and often we just need some tools and some reminders of how to do that and as you know, I absolutely admire all the work you do. So I thank you for being a oh, part thank of you. space as well. Sorry, thank you so much. You're definitely right. And look, that's something I do when I, I do, I do um, coaching with health professionals to encourage more health experts to become confident in talking on social media and in having a presence because I, I believe we, you know, people with expertise, you really owe it to share that expertise with a broader audience rather than just keeping it to yourself. Yeah, totally agree. And I think that will lead into our next question because obviously you have shared about your sobriety. So you are an empowered sober lady. And I think sharing those things vulnerably help other women um, and they bring other women through with their own, you know, relationship with alcohol. So congratulations on that. I would love it if you could share with us some factors that led you to change your relationship with alcohol. Yeah, sure. So I had you know, started to probably drink less because I wanted to prioritise my health. I wanted to prioritise, you know, 
being able to go to the gym and things like that. But I was still, you know, having alcohol a couple of times a week, but I was drinking less than I had in the past and sort of justifying that, oh, I like, you know, I like having a glass of wine with dinner and blah, blah, blah. Um, but then what happened was I went through this period of having really chronic migraine attacks and I went to see a neurologist and she said, first thing was like, if you really want to get serious about getting over this, you've got to give up alcohol. She said, she said, well, if you really need to drink, you can drink vodka. And I really don't like vodka. So I'm like, okay, well, that's not going to happen. And she said, because of the histamine level in alcohol, it was really just triggering migraine attacks for me and very, very debilitating you know, days and days on end. And so the option of putting up with that, putting up with the, you know, those days of ill health versus giving up something that I had enjoyed. For me, it was a bit of a no brainer to give it up. And I was, I was happy to do that because I wanted to prioritize feeling good. But what I didn't expect was, and this is what I wrote about when I wrote about giving up alcohol was how much I had used alcohol as a safety blanket. You know, I, it made me realize that, you know, for the first time when you don't have something, then you realize how dependent you are on it when you don't have it. And so I had used alcohol in a way to sort of, if you're going to a party, just to have a few drinks to sort of relax and, and calm down and, and be, be more of yourself. But when I didn't have that crux of alcohol, then I had to really face how you feel when you walk into a room and you don't know anybody or you're feeling anxious about doing something. And so it was, a, it was very empowering though, because then I realized that I did have the, the tools to cope with those moments without having to resort to alcohol. And then those moments become fewer and fewer and fewer. And then I focused on also what I had gained, what I'd gained by giving up alcohol far out, outweighed any, anything else. What I'd gained was being able to wake up in the morning and feeling good, being able to you know, prioritize things like movement and my, my physical health and my mental well-being feeling really clear-headed, feeling really present. And then the other thing that really made a massive difference to me was finding people who had the same values as me, because, you know, it can be very challenging if you're in a whole group of people and they're all drinking alcohol and you're the only one having like a mineral water or, or non-alcoholic cocktail or, and so finding, finding your tribe and whether that's through a great organization and community like this one means that you're surrounded by people who understand what you're going through and they support you as well because they're going through the exactly the same thing and so I was really lucky that my sister had previously given up alcohol and so she was very supportive um, one of my cousins had given up alcohol a few years before that and he actually runs a, a, a non-alcoholic drinks company so like at family functions, there's no shortage of, you know, non-alcoholic options because Tim brings everything. And so that actually made a massive, massive difference. Having people around you that support you. And even if they're not your immediate circle or your immediate family, then going out and finding those people, finding that tribe, finding that people who've got like-minded views as you. And I found lots of those people on Instagram as well you know, women in their, well, I'm in my 50s, so women in their 50s who are, have chosen to give up alcohol because they're prioritizing their, their health and they're prioritizing wanting to feel as good as possible. And 
there's no judgment at all with people who haven't made that decision, but it's a very much a personal choice. But I think when you see that there are so many other people out there like you that have made that decision and feel really good about it and don't regret it and don't wish they were back where they were, I think it really empowers you to stay the course, you know, to stay the course of the decision that you've made because you know how good you feel and you're with other people who feel well and, and amazing as well. Yeah, beautiful share, Sophie. Thank you. Um, and I totally relate, and I'm sure everyone in our community totally relates to every single point you touched on there. And the main point is being able to show up in a society fueled with alcohol without that mask, without that crutch and building that confidence that we can do that by showing up as our true authentic self. And I think once we're able to get through those moments a few times, we relax into sobriety and then we see all the other benefits that come from us, which are endless. Um, they truly never end. And there is definitely no one that I have come across in the sober space that ever regrets choosing a life of sobriety. Yeah, I would have to agree like you you never hear from people like oh i wish i was back where i was no one ever says that they're always like i i'm so happy to be where i am i'm so happy to be living this life and i'm happy to to recommit to that every day and a lot of the times it's um you know if you're with people who are drinking it's just making sure you've got options that so you're not just necessarily sticking to water but you've got options like you know i love sparkling mineral water I've got some of the non-alcoholic um, spirits and things like that. Um, my sister's really into all the non-alcoholic sparkling wine. So I don't generally have those, but if I'm with her, we'll, ha we'll have a glass of that. Um, so it's making sure, because a lot of the things about drinking alcohol is all about the ritual of it. It's all about the ritual of what you do at that time. So replacing the ritual that you used to have with a new ritual um, and something that you can that you can really enjoy. So you don't feel like you're missing out. And the big thing about change that that I've, you know, because I've gone gone through quite a few changes in the last 12 months, you know, change, leaving a job, we moved house it, from the house we'd been in for 25 years. The biggest mindset shift that you need to make is to focus on what you're going to be gaining rather than what you're going to be losing. And so often we just focus on what we're, what we're losing. Oh, I'm going to lose this and I'm not going to be able to do that. Instead of flipping that and saying, what am I gaining by this step? You know, what am I gaining by taking this, this courageous change? And so often when you focus on what you're gaining, then that can really help you stay the course and recognize the value in making those changes. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that's why I had so much success early on. Once I decided I wanted a life of sobriety, of course, there was sober curiosity for four years or so. But once I decided that, I went in and I embraced it and I looked at it as something positive. And that took a little bit of um, some work, of course. But once I did embrace it, I found that it became so much easier. And from the, you know, you go from resisting it. And as you said, you do look at it and think, I'm going to miss out on this. I'm going to miss out on that. But once you look at it from a different angle, um, I think that's when the beauty happens in sobriety. And I also I do think that sense of being around other people who understand really helps as well, because then you don't have to be explaining yourself all the time. You don't have to be making like justifying your behavior, but you're with people who get it, who understand and who've made that same decision and same choice. And, you know, there's more and more people who are making that choice, which is the really good news. You know, 
a lot of the people that are you know buying non-alcoholic products are, i mean and now in bottle shops there's whole aisles of non-alcoholic products who would have thought that so if you know if you're looking to as wanting to make a new ritual you can just get some of those products and and that can really help you too. like putting in whatever you need to make that transition as easy as possible for you is this can really really help yeah yeah exactly right so we'll still continue on i think and we'll chat about the sobriety so um what guidance would you offer around mindset for people looking into a life of sobriety but they're a little bit nervous because they are almost putting up some walls in front of themselves saying i don't think i can do an event i don't think i can do a wedding i don't think i can grieve i don't Mm. think i can all you know life's um obstacles have you got some tools Mm -hmm. that you could share with us around that yeah so look i think that that's a very natural reaction is the first thing to say to 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 acknowledge that thinking how am i going to handle you know a crisis or a conflict that might come up or a really stressful day you know, if I've been using alcohol in the past as a way of dealing with that, how am I going to cope with that? And there are a few things that you can do. There are a few things, including things like replacing, if you're using alcohol as a reward, say, um, at, at the end of the day, which a lot of people do, they'll use it as a way to sort of punctuate the day. They'll be like, okay, they get home from work and they'll have a glass of wine to relax or they'll do it when they're cooking to think about what can you replace like sort of a mindset shift of I want something as a sense of reward what can I replace instead so that it's I'm not relying on alcohol and ideally it's something you know that's good for you but you do get that sense of reward and fulfillment and the other thing is just to to realize that you know it's very it's very natural to to think you know how am I going to cope with those challenging moments but often if we look back in the past we, we can think that we've we've got through challenges before and we've got through crisis or stress before and think about the other things that you might have relied on as well apart from alcohol that helped you get through that moment you know what are the things who are the people that you turn to and what are the other practices that you relied on to help you get through that challenge and then you can and think up well I've got those people still exist or that practice still exists I can still do that I just won't rely on alcohol to get me through this and also to recognize that we're all much stronger than we think we are and the, the fact that we've all been through challenges in the past and come through the other side shows that we're strong and that we don't need to rely on alcohol to get through a challenge and so those sort of mindset shifts can can really really help yeah that is such great advice Sophie thank you um now let's move into sort of anxiety chat um, and obviously there's a belief around, you know, that alcohol alleviates anxiety, but it often exasperates it. What advice do you have for individuals seeking healthier alternatives to managing anxiety, especially early in sobriety when they're used to that crunch, mm. you know? Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts around that. So, yeah, look, that's a really good question. I'm just I'm working on a resource at the moment, um, which is a like an e-book about high-functioning anxiety because I think that's a thing in particular that a lot of women and struggle with which and high functioning anxiety is where from the outside world you know you might have a really good job or like you know a really you look really successful and really accomplished but if you have this sort of at the same time you have this this sort of ongoing sense of anxiety and 
that that is sort of holding you back as well. And so I think often people who have high functioning anxiety can rely on alcohol as a way of coping. And the thing about anxiety is it's a response to a stimulus of something going on around you that you're, you know, becoming anxious to. And so it's good to think about, you know, what what's causing you to feel anxious, but also like anxiety is a very physical symptom as much as we think of it as a mental health condition. So often it might show up as like a, you know, rapid heartbeat or you might your hands might start shaking or your breath becomes really shallow. And so what I talk about in this ebook and and what I talk about in my social media as well is is using physical ways to help you manage anxiety because that's the most powerful way that you can deal with anxiety and that's through things like um, deep breathing and having um, you know regular meditation and things that you can do on an ongoing basis so that if you start to feel anxious if you start to feel that anxiety sort of bubbling up then you can think okay i'm starting to feel anxious first of all name it so like okay this is anxiety this is i can feel these feelings of anxiety you know bubbling up now I'm going to use one of those tools that I know works really well to manage anxiety. And there's a great one called the physiological sigh, which is where you take a deep breath in as much as you can. And then when you've got that deep breath in, you take another little breath as well. And then you take a really deep breath out. And just the action of doing that has been that physiological sigh has been shown to really, really help reduce anxiety in, the, in that moment because it slows your heart rate down, it slows your breathing down, and it slows your blood pressure down, it slows everything down that's all ramped up from the anxiety. And so thinking about those things that you can do that are going to impact you on a physical level, that's what's going to help. Um, and the more you can put some sort of the, these tools into a daily small habits of these tools, the reason that makes a difference is because then you have the, the, the brain pat patterns, you've got that that memory in your brain of like, oh, okay, I can feel a bit of anxiety. Now it'd be great to do that deep breathing that, she, that she's been doing every morning for five minutes. And then you can start doing it straight away. And then you all of a sudden feel so much better. And so those sort of little tools, they make a massive difference. It might not seem like much, but it's the, it's the quickest way to overcome anxiety is to have those physical things that you can do because anxiety is a very physical sensation. And so that understanding that's been a real game changer for me as well, I think. And that's why it's been easier for me to, to, to cope with any anxiety without needing alcohol, because I know that the alcohol is actually just going to make it worse, whereas these things make it, make it better. And it is such simple advice. And as I said earlier, sometimes we just need reminding of the simple things because often there is so much information out there that we can feel really overwhelmed. And it's when we're reminded of the simplest of things like breathing and to think about our breathing that can alleviate, you know, that that feeling that that sensation of anxiety is just super important. So thank you very much for the reminder of that. And I think, you know, something like that we can all take into our day. Um, I need to do it more when I feel overwhelmed. I don't think I have anxiety, but I can get overwhelmed quite quickly. And just that, mm. you know, the breathing helps me so much in that regard. And it's just reminding myself, just take some deep breaths, you know, and it can be so simple but so powerful. Yeah, and think about when you can punctuate your day with doing those things because I think the more you can make something automatic uh, without having to rely on motivation, then you're much more likely to do it. And so for some people it's like they they think about, you know, they might have, you know, 
three meals a day. So they think, okay, just before each meal, I'm going to do a few deep breaths or it might be, you know, they decide, you know, first thing in the morning, just before they have their first coffee, they'll do some deep breathing, whatever works for you. But the more you can sort of embed those little micro habits in your day, the more it becomes just an automatic behavior. Um, and then we don't have to rely on motivation to think, oh, I haven't done any deep breathing today. But, you know, if you if, if you tie it to something that you're doing, and this is called habit stacking, which is a really great way of um, embedding a new habit, is you tie it to something you're already doing. So you're already going to be eating, hopefully, three meals a day or, or more. So if you can tie a new habit to something you're already doing, it actually really increases your chances that you'll stick with that new habit. So I really love that idea as well. Think about something like, Another great, if you want to do, like, you can do balance exercises while you're brushing your teeth or, you know, putting two things together and putting a new habit with an existing one means you're actually much more likely to stick with it. Yeah. Amazing advice. Um, and as I said, it's just really reminding us of what we can do. And something you touched on earlier that I really loved is we have all these tools within us. Um, and that's really important. And I think what your job at the moment is, is just pulling that out of people. And that's what I love doing as well, because it's all there um, for us, isn't it? And we just need to empower people. And for me, it's empowering women in early sobriety that they mm. do have within them. Um, they've just got to work a little bit harder at the beginning to find it and to bring it out. Um, and then it will become more natural as part of their life. Yeah, and I think the thing is often we sort of feel that we're not worthy of change or we're not worthy of making the, the effort to put those things into place that'll make us feel better. But then if you, if you do make the changes and you do recognize that you are, you are worth putting the effort in for, you know, just in the way that we put effort in for the people that we care about and we, you know, make sure they're happy and well, and, you know, we've got to do the same for ourselves. And then, then that's when you reap the reward. And the thing is about staying, staying where you are, particularly if you're not happy with your relationship with alcohol, if you're waking up feeling crappy and you're not enjoying it, then that's hard. That's hard to, to live that way. Whereas the, the opposite and living an alcohol-free life, while it might be a little bit challenging at the beginning, then the rewards are huge. And so look again, focusing on the things that you're going to be gaining rather than what you're going to be losing. And once you can make that shift, it really does make a, a huge difference. It made a massive difference to me. Yeah, yeah. And it certainly, yeah, certainly did me as well. So now I'd love to touch on burnout um, because that is a real issue. And I think so many members in the community are they either really busy grandmothers or we're really busy mothers with young children um, and things. So can you define what burnout entails and highlight early indicators um, that we could be mindful of and proactively manage, um, yeah, before burnout takes place. Yeah, so, yeah, so burnout is a, you know, it started off as really a, predominantly a workplace phenomenon. So it was um, determined by the World Health Organization. It's got some very specific symptoms. So you have physical and emotional exhaustion. You feel very disillusioned and disengaged with the work that you might be doing. So that sense of disengagement is really important and you feel like you're not making a difference and you're not actually achieving much in your job anymore. And then you also start to really doubt your own abilities. Um, these are some of the key, the core components of burnout. So there's, there's all those physical and emotional symptoms, but that sense of um, disengagement is a, is a big one as well. And then there are a lot of 
physical symptoms. So you can have more anxiety, you can have headaches and fatigue, and you can also have cognitive symptoms as well. So there was a, there's a thing called the Sydney burnout study that was done by Professor Gordon Parker. And he found in that study, which was, even though it was called Sydney, it was people from all around Australia, a third of people who had the severe end of burnout were actually had cognitive difficulties. So they, they couldn't actually take in information. So they'd be, they would read something, for example, and then they would go, they would think, I don't even, I can't even remember what I just read one second ago. And so it's not, it's not a benign thing, burnout, particularly when you get to that more serious end. Like I've spoken to people who've ended up in hospital, who've, you know, been really unwell. And so if you feel like you're ticking some of those boxes, the, the thing is to try to aim to seek support and get help before you get too far down the, the burnout spectrum, because you don't want to end up feeling really, really crappy. And seeking support is the first step, because if it is, whether it's burnout at work or whether you're feeling, you know, there's parental burnout as well and caregiver burnout. So telling someone and telling people how you feel is super important. You know, if it's in a workplace scenario, you've got to let people know how you feel. You've got to let people know that that you are feeling, um, so for example, if the workload is just unrealistic and you know, which which can often happen. You've got to let people know and then let people know that you need that support. And if, if it's feeling like from a, you know, in a family point of view, thinking about who can you call on to get a bit of extra support? Because often people who are in burnout feel very isolated and they feel like they're having to juggle everything on their own. And you feel that, that loss of connection as well. And um, so seeking support is really important. And, and also, and if it's someone you know that's going through burnout, because that happens a lot when I go into workplaces, I always get asked about that. Making sure that you're giving support to the person who's going through burnout and because it is a very, you can feel very, very isolated. Um, but there are ways to get, there are ways to get through it. And um, there are, there are good solutions to burnout that, and you don't necessarily need to leave your job or, you know, change things. It's about letting the people know how you're feeling, putting some good boundaries in place. You know, one thing they found with research was if people recovering from burnout were still like, you know, on their phones first thing in the morning and checking their emails at all times of the night, they didn't recover from burnout, none surprising because they were still in that, you know, urgency phase where they were always on the go and they were, their nervous system was in that fight or flight and survival mode just on a constant basis. And that's one of the reasons we can end up in burnout when we, we don't give ourselves the permission to, to you know, calm your nervous system down, to, to rest and recover and to not be you know, checking emails and on the go from six in the morning till 10 o'clock at night. Um, and the reason it's good to put those boundaries in place, even if it can be challenging to do, is that it's not sustainable to, to be in that survival mode and in that fight or flight state just for, for months and years on end. Your body starts to tell you that, that it's not happy. Um, and that's what I went through in my experience of burnout. I was um, you know, working really hard and I was traveling around the country hosting events as well and you know, having a great time, but it was just, it was a workload that was really not sustained and, and had four kids all at three at three different schools. Um, it was just a workload that wasn't really sustainable in the long term. And then I started to get all these physical symptoms. Uh, the big, you know, wake up call for me was when I stood up at this black tie event to host 
um, to announce these awards. And then I just got this, you know, wave of dizziness just hit me out of nowhere. And um, my autonomic nervous system just stopped working properly. And I was, I had a lot of these symptoms like the fatigue and everything else and the exhaustion, but I just kept pushing, pushing, pushing until like, you just get to the point where you're like, I just can't take it anymore. And so I, I was able to build myself my health back up from that point where I couldn't, couldn't do any exercise, I couldn't do anything. And, um, you know, working was very challenging to be, you know, back at work and feeling good and having, you know, much better control of my energy, but seeking support and putting those boundaries in place was really crucial. And I think often as women, if you're, you know, a high achiever, it's, we're often not very good at putting boundaries in place. We're not very good at saying no. And so I, they were some of the things that I had to learn as well. I sort of learned the hard way. Yeah. And I think um, all of us that have been in early sobriety and leading into that early sobriety can relate to everything you've described about burnout. I could literally feel in my body because I think I was heading that way before I decided to stop drinking alcohol. Um, and it, the communication, the recognising where you are at, the recognizing the feelings in your body um, and then rebuilding by putting those boundaries in place and that self-care is exactly what we do you know in sobriety so the burnout and sobriety to me when you were describing that are just so close to each other you know they go hand in hand really and I think sobriety and well-being together um, they have to work as one so it's 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 a it's a it's a, it's a great combination it's the double whammy of if you and you know, like I've, I write about looking after yourself and self care. It's not about it's not about being selfish. It's actually about wanting to be perform at your best and be a peak performer. And if you know, if you want to do that, you need to be able to do have you know sustain things for the long term and not taking time out for yourself and not looking after your health and putting you know your health and well being first um, means that you're setting yourself up for failure you know because no one is invincible as much as we might like to think that we can do it all and you know do everything um it's it what my experience showed was that you know we're all vulnerable to overworking and um putting ourselves last and then you end up having to have a slow road back to um feeling amazing so taking these actions and and certainly giving up alcohol is a, a really positive step that you that we can all take um, to embed those habits and standards and I like to think of rather than I heard this really interesting thing the other day which is saying rather than setting goals because a goal is something that you sort of set a goal and then you reach it and then what happens and they were talking about what they like to the concept of setting a standard for yourself a standard that you want to reach and you know when you set the standard of that you want to put your health and well-being as the most as your priority and then thinking about what what actions are you taking to support that and you know is this action supporting that standard that you set for yourself um and for, for me drinking alcohol wasn't would not have been supporting that standard of you know wanting my health and well-being to be the the number one thing so that i can then you know serve people and work with people and and help them in other ways because if we if you don't look after yourself, then you can't help other people. So it's not selfish at all. It's actually altruistic because the, the healthier you are and the happier you are, 
um, that the happier your family will be and the more you can do whatever your chosen purpose is and your chosen work. And you can't do that if you're feeling feeling crappy. I could not agree with you more there, Sophie. And um, it is a by looking after mm -hmm. ourselves, it's not selfish. It is a beautiful, beautiful ripple effect through the rest of our family, our loved ones, um, our community, our work, you know, those around us. So it's, you know, a good reminder that it isn't selfish. It is, um, should be number one priority. Exactly. And if you have kids as well, like I find, I found, you know, kids really look at what you're doing rather than what you're saying. <laughs> you might be saying, do this, do that, but then they look at your actions. And they look at the actions. Are you looking after yourself? Are you getting up and, and prioritizing, you know, going movements? Are you, you know, nourishing yourself with nutritious food? Are you um, thinking about how, you know, are you prioritizing connection with people that you really care about? I was wanted to share one, one thing with the group that there was a really good study released this year from Harvard University looking at what was the biggest predictor of people's physical and emotional well-being and they found the biggest predictor of both your physical and emotional well-being is the quality of your relationships and so think about you know being happy and healthy is going to enhance the quality of your relationships so that was a really interesting study for me you, you might have thought it would be diet would make the biggest difference or but it's actually your the quality, the connections that you have and the relationships that you have. And that's why also finding people who have the same values as you and so you can share that relation, those relationships with them is another, another benefit as well. So it just really shows how important it is to have that sense of community and finding that, that tribe. And that, that was, that's another thing that you know, I, I've done as well. When I um, left my full-time job to work for myself, I thought, okay, I, I want to find people who I can spend time with, who I can um, enjoy their company, have got the same sort of values. And once you find that those people, you, you think, you, you feel like you feel that sense of connection that you might have missed for years. And so, and I, I really encourage people, if, if you've got that sense of connection with people in this group, then you really want to like hold on to that because it's really, really, really precious. Yeah, yeah. And that's what, you know, the thrivalist community is all about it's about understanding and supporting each other and building those relationships and that's definitely all about um, authenticity because we are showing up as our raw authentic selves and that's how we get to know each other and it's just such a beautiful um, experience and a beautiful community to be part of for that reason and that you know that is the main reason so that's so good and I think being part of a group like the thrivalist society shows that you know, everyone struggles. If you if you think that someone doesn't struggle, then you probably haven't scratched the surface enough with, with that person. And certainly you can see stuff on social media, like people have got these perfect lives and blah, 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 blah. But you don't see what's going on when the cameras are not there, you know. So when you can be with people who can be their real selves, you know, as messy as that is for all of us, that's when the real magic happens when it comes to connection. So that's why I think, you know, groups like yours are so valuable because you can see people not putting on that fake facade of like, oh, yeah, everything's perfect. Well, it might be perfect in that minute that they took the photo or that day, but you don't see all the other mess that goes on in everyone's lives. No one, no one's life has it all together, despite what social media might portray. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's um, a great way to finish off our conversation because we are all human and we all have our struggles, but when we support each other and lift each other up, that's when we get through it the best. So, Yeah, and feeling like particularly if you are struggling, you know, to reach out to someone in this group and and to, or reach out to you and just to to say, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with this and that. And then you probably find someone that's gone through exactly the same thing. And um, that's why I've always been quite open with sharing things that I've been through because, you know, if, I, if I've been through something and come out the other side and I can help one person, then it's worthwhile. And um, I think hopefully people in this group have that same sense of, you know, you're all acting in accordance with the values that you hold really dear, which is your, your health and your well-being. You're putting that first. And that's a great gift that you're giving yourself. And you want to acknowledge that. And um, so, yeah, I think it's amazing. And you're all prioritizing what really matters to you. And that's that's a great thing that you're all doing. So I just want to congratulate you all. And also, if you, you do want to ever reach out to me, if any of you want to um, you know, if you don't want to ask a question in this set, in this setting, but you can reach out to me on my Instagram and send, send me a DM and happy to, happy to chat to you about, you know, the ups and downs and the benefits though, ultimately of living a sober life, because it's, um, when you focus on the benefits, there are just so many more benefits than the alternative. Yeah. A hundred percent. Thank you so much, Sophie. Um, I'm Ooh. really, really, really grateful for your time. That's it for the podcast this week. Thank you so much for tuning in and I hope you've enjoyed the episode. If you feel called, I would love you to write a review and share this episode with anyone you feel may benefit from it. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode. Lots of love. If you're not 100% sure about joining Thrivalist just yet, I'd like to direct you towards some free resources to get you started right away on your sober curious journey. You can head over to our website at www.thrivalistsobriety.com and read our member reviews. When you read about other women's success stories, it serves as a huge inspiration to get you started on your own journey. And if we can do it, so can you. You can also head to the resource section of our website and listen to a free guided inner mentor meditation or calculate how much you'll save by taking a break from drinking. Plus, we've got loads of other free resources for you over there. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and join our free Facebook community. And please reach out anytime you may need some support at info at Oh, you were the